Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Vanessa Lynn. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. These are unceded lands. Treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Vanessa Len is an educational editor and writer of Chinese Malaysian heritage. Only a Monster is her debut novel. Joan was always told her family was different. Every summer, she visits her mother's family in London. From volunteering in her dream job at a museum to the cute boy she volunteers with, asking her out, her holiday is just about perfect. Except Joan's got a secret even she doesn't know. Monsters are real, and she is one. What does this mean? Well, her date's not going well. And Joan has questions for her grandmother, but that's all going to have to wait until Joan is done running for her life. Join me as we discover Vanessa Lenz, Only a Monster. I think it's disconnected us. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, how are you? I am very well. How are you? Very well also. I'm just turning you up. No worries. Terrific. And you've got, like, did you, have you purpose bought that shelf to, like, it looks like it's been measured for two copies of Only a Monster. No, it was not perfectly booked. All my real books are behind it. Ah, pulling, pulling back the curtain. I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to, um, to be chatting, Only a Monster. I, um, one of the things that I was reviewing with, in my notes, and I'm just letting you know in case you would like to direct the interview in any directions, is like, I, I realise I'm probably a little bit light on plot, but then also it's the sort of book where you don't want to be too much on plot. I know. I was just um, I was just talking to someone saying we should do like a, a, an all-spoiler <laughs> podcast or something mm. so that you can talk about everything. But I know my book's got so many plot twists, it's really hard to know what you can talk about. Well, I would I- say definitely time travel, definitely the hero, and then probably not that much. <laughs> well, yeah, like really, really foundational. I mean, like I, I can see a lot of the, the, the sort of points you're trying to hit, but even the idea of the way you are exploring this idea of, of hero, or, or, or I guess maybe the traditional arc. I mean, yeah. for, for me to even just be kind of like, and so then there's Nick, the hero, and it's just like, yeah, but that's actually a bit of a reveal. And I'm like, well, I, <laughs> I, think, I think we have to. I think so. I had to put it, I had to put something on the blurb on the back and I feel like I would have loved to have people have to have read it knowing nothing about the book, but I think it's a bit unfair to ask people to buy a book and just be like, it's about something. All right. Well, let's let's jump in. Let's do um, some questions. Joan is doing the holidays right, visiting her mom, mother's family in London, volunteering in a dream job at a museum, and now the cute boy she volunteers with has asked her out. Perfect, right? Except Joan's a monster. 
Cute Boy's a hero, and the fate of all monsters is in her hands. Let's enter the world of Vanessa Lens only. A monster. Vanessa is an educational editor, a writer of Chinese-Malaysian heritage. Only a monster is her debut, and most importantly, she is joining me right now. Welcome, Vanessa. It is so exciting to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here. I, like, I, I built that up. I could feel the energy kind of rising, and I'm like, pull it back, pull it back. I've got like the energy of only a monster, but in that kind of you know, second and third part where uh, we, we can't go for, because of spoilers. But we can definitely start with just this incredible concept. Like, I loved the concept. I love the way you work to challenge and unsettle our traditional ideas of how this hero narrative works. And only, the mon- only a monster <laughs> introduces the reader to a world behind our world. It's a world of so-called monsters whose abilities allow them to traverse the time continuum and for the story to work, the world has to work. So I really need to know, to start off with, like, what are your first considerations when you decide to slide a hidden world into our own? Um, I don't know about you, but I always love it when me, the reader, and when someone else, the reader, can, um, I guess, emerge from a book and walk into the real world and think, you know what, maybe this could really exist, like, just next door maybe someone nearby is really a monster I always really love the idea that you can I guess take the world from the book and bring it into your own world potentially I think that's why I really like urban fantasy so much like potentially maybe you can imagine it could be real it's all about reading too isn't it like on so many levels because I guess you challenge us with this idea of of monsters and and what monsters are and I think I think a lot of us and without getting too like socially serious too quickly we live in a world where we have to confront the idea of monsters as everyday people but then also we live in a world where there are a lot of people out there living in dark corners of the internet who do want us to believe that there are secret hidden societies out there um like, are there, are there practicalities, though? Are you, are you kind of like, do you have to consider physical space or is it more sort of building up the narrative and then just ironing out the bits that maybe just don't work? Um, that's a really good question. Actually, it is funny. I, do, I did wonder about conspiracy theorists, but then, you know, if you're writing in the fantasy genre, you've got to hope that people understand that it's fantasy. Um, yeah, I was definitely, um, I said it in, in London specifically, but I did also imagine that this monster world extends around the world. Um, so yeah, I, when I was picking the specific spaces, I was really thinking of, um, I guess there's like a time travel element in the book. So I was thinking about how spaces exist in, in different time periods um, and whether that would be, uh, th- that setting would still be interesting in different time periods. Uh, so I guess those were some of my considerations when I was picking where, where, to, put the, where to put the plot. And really, like really important. I, I mean, I loved, I loved the moment where um, I think it's a line from Aaron. We haven't yet met Aaron yet in our conversation, but Aaron sort of talks about, or maybe it was Ruth, that the monster world doesn't have those geographical country boundaries. Um, and the idea, yeah, that the these 12 monster families may spread out geographically, but also that there might be more beyond. I definitely imagine more beyond. Um, I, was, I suppose you have to contain a story um somewhat so I had to contain I contained it to London with these 12 families um but I definitely picture it um as being a larger world um and as you say um I thought it'd be interesting if the 
Um, the boundaries between countries uh, don't match our own, uh, partly because this is a, a society that includes time travel. So um, you might find a boundary that's, you know, an ancient boundary is their boundary or a boundary that doesn't exist yet might be their country boundary. I just find that kind of interesting. And I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure you're not reflecting on current geopolitical kind of events, but I mean, realistically, we live in a world where across our lifetime, these boundaries change. So it, it makes a whole lot of sense. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't, I wasn't commenting on anything in particular. Um, really, it was almost um, like a narrative necessity, I think, um, because I've got this, I guess, entity called the king and I've got these authority figures um, I wanted to put a boundary on, um, I guess, you know, what I was like asking myself questions, what, what part of the world do they rule? Like where is it only London? So I kind of wanted to also just hint that, you know, there's more, to, there's more to this world than just London. <laughs> and you make just this excellent point that boundaries are necessary for a narrative. They're probably also necessary for an interview. So in an attempt to kind of drag a boundary around myself, I, we have to acknowledge everyone can tell I got a little bit into the mythology and I've, I've probably like revealing some of my, my geek past. Are you, are you like a fantasy comics, etc. type of geek yourself? What was your entry point to, to these ideas? I would say um, I, I sometimes compare to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and to Doctor Who. Um, so I'm definitely like a TV geek, I would say, movie geek, book geek. Um, I'm definitely, I, I wanted to give it a feeling of like almost like an existing fandom. Um, so that was how I came to it, kind of my approach when I was creating this world, kind of making the kind of, I guess, fandom slot type world that I enjoy personally. Awesome. Incredible. So, and that's so huge. I imagine your ideas, you either have to be extraordinarily comprehensive or prepared to retcon. And you don't have to tell me anything about that, but it's, it's, it's so interesting to think of the world outside of the world of the book. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think I probably spent about two years just developing the world um, and characters and all their backstories. So I had it really inside my head before I even started writing it. Um, and in a way I had to make a story happen out of this world that was in my head. <laughs> so let's, I mean, let's go to the story before we just, this just becomes a kind of a, a geek influence kind of, <laughs> not that I, I love that Buffy is an influence. Like, Apart from Joss Whedon turning out to be incredibly toxic, everything about that series is perfect. I know, it's so good. It was so great. <laughs> so we, well, Joan is our entry point into this world and Joan discovers she is a monster. I want to just start with that. Like why the nomenclature of monsters? Like on the surface I saw you kind of problematizing our simplistic relationships between protagonists and antagonists. But I was also curious about the etymology of monster. Like, you know, we have to monster being a verb and it, it goes back to this idea of it being a portent or a warning. Am I reading too much? Please tell me about monsters. Yeah. So um, I always knew that I wanted to create, a kind, I guess, a new kind of supernatural creature. So in the book, um, the monsters can steal time from the human lifespan and then they use that to travel in time. Um, and I did think about giving them uh, their own special name, but in a way I had wanted to keep a lot of the terminology really simple. Um, and kind of, as you say, um, the, 
that if you gave 15 people the word monster and said, describe what this thing looks like and, and you know, what makes them monstrous, I think you'd get 15 different answers. Uh, so in a way, I kind of wanted to fill that hole a little bit and like put my creature into that word um, that people are so familiar with. Um, and I guess, I, I, yeah, I really like the idea of filling a simple word with, with a creature. <laughs> The within like within the within the world of only a monster, we have these twelve families who very um, casually just adopt the word monster. They use the word monster. There's a pride behind their use of it, but obviously they are in the world. They're aware of the negative connotations. And again, a third factor whenever we deal with time travel is we potentially have creatures that existed before concepts maybe they are the originators of the concepts was was there a sense of that in your use here um yes potentially i kind of wanted to i guess the other thing that um puts them apart from humans because they do look human um other than their special powers is i think they have some level of amorality slash immorality they don't have the same moral compass as a human um and yeah i do think they they just take that term as as what they are they they embrace it they consider themselves to be you know i guess they're very comfortable with with stealing human life <laughs> um and I, I i think of the only um character that questions that is my main character joan who was who was not you know particularly raised um, knowing that monsters steal human life. So it's a surprise to her when she finds that out and she does have a bit of a moral compass. So um, I guess the book starts to become about, you know, what if, you know, what if these people that you love don't have the same moral compass? What if they're quite bad? Like what, you know, what would you do if you wanted to, you know, if you still loved them? Before we go too much deeper with that, important to understanding monsters is, of course, and to Joan's monster, we have Nick, who is right. the archetypal. He's practically a Hemsworth hero. What issues did you see in the way that heroes are broadly conceived that led to you having this fairly unique portrayal of heroism? I'm not going to talk too much about Nick because that's an exciting part of discovery in the story. But Yeah, what, what so um, I guess I was really inspired by... Um, that feeling we probably all get sometimes when, you know, watching a movie and we feel like, you know, the hero of this story doesn't really feel like it's the hero, he or she is the hero of my story. Um, And so when I was growing up um, on, you know, like big blockbuster films, TV shows, I would would really find that those kind of hero narratives where the good guys and bad guys are really clearly demarcated. Um, When I was growing up, those heroes didn't really often look like me. and then the, weirdly the bad guys sometimes do. And I sometimes wonder if it's because there's a lot of Asian American stunt people so that you only ever see them for fight scenes. <laughs> so they'll show up for the fight scenes and then you'll just see them get beaten up and killed by the hero. Um, and it really gave me, I guess, the idea of, you know, what what would a story be like if one of those really good and decent and upright heroes from those, you know, from those classic hero narratives um, was fighting against you rather than for you. I thought that would just be like an, an interesting story. I mean, it sort of reflecting on pop, pop culture more broadly, like, you know, we, I think it's 2018's Black Panther and then we've got, what was it, 2020-21's uh, Shang-Chi. Yes, we, have, yes. we have these being lauded for representation, but there was always a little sense of like, 
it's the 21st century, everybody. Like, we, it shouldn't be this is the first time. And I, I feel like I that's what you're talking about. <laughs> and it was so, I mean, it, it is so exciting that they're out. Like, um, I know my friend and I made a big event of, like, witching it together. It was really exciting. But, um, yeah, it's true. You know, it's true. Um, you kind of wish it had been earlier. Um, but at the same time, maybe I would never have written this book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's again. I we haven't even really gotten to to Joan's, I guess, um, origin story. Her coming up, but there is this really, um, really important moment where Joan is thrown up against the the seemingly slimy monster family, the Olivers. And I wanted to use lots of s assonance and alliteration there because, I mean, I think I think for a shorthand code, we're we're feeling a little Slytherin-y here. Like these it's are snaky. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when when the Olivers, um, they sort of they've captured Joan and they realise who she is. They deride Joan's status because she has a human parent and a monster parent. And Joan, in her mind, she draws very specific parallels between her experience with her Anglo-Asian identity. Um, can you just elaborate a little bit more on, on having that protagonist and what you were drawing on in, in this portrayal? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I'm half Asian myself, um, and I, was, I think I'm just really interested in um, characters who kind of move in multiple worlds, if that makes sense. So um, I'm, that's, pro- that's probably why I also made Joan like a half monster, half human, um, just like the idea of characters that can, um, I guess, both belong and not belong in different worlds. Um, but definitely I think probably that moment <laughs> came from my own experiences growing up. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to like push into that too hard. Um, I feel like, you know, using a fantasy lens, there's only so much you can do. And it, I think it can be a bit cheesy sometimes. Um, but I wanted as well to create something that felt kind of realistic to me um, without making that, you know, the absolute focus of the book or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, I think we've already drawn a little bit on Harry Potter fandom in the conversation so far, and there's obvious parallels with um, Hermione, say, being called a mudblood, or if we want to go into kind of like X-Men-y type territory, there's, you know, there's all that sort of mutant hate that gets coded into. But the, the really big difference here is that they are very obviously coded in the in the stories as the heroes who are being maligned by a human population that are ignorant, hateful, etc. You really, you make it really interesting. Like Joan, I think I think it's apparent for people that Joan is not uh, a, a monster in in scare quotes villain. But you also, are, you know, you're coding and complicating this by having her as a monster. What was like? What was important there that it wasn't just black and white? Um, yeah, I think I was really interested in, as I say, um, characters who can move between multiple worlds um, and who see the perspectives, I suppose, of multiple worlds. Um, that's something I always find really interesting. It's like when uh, I suppose probably there's a really familiar experience for people who um, come from multiple cultures. You know, you, you hear the narratives of multiple cultures, you hear the perspectives of multiple cultures. And I had wanted to create a character who um, who, who understands both perspectives, I suppose. And, and I, I find that complication of narrative really interesting so that 
I think you, the reader, also can see both sides of this monster-human divide. Um, and, you, I mean, maybe you would pick a side, but um, I think you can at least understand each of their perspectives. Um, yeah, I always find that really interesting when there's, like, mutually exclusive, almost unreconcilable um, perspectives uh, that you can really understand. <laughs> I got a real sense that in in Only a Monster, we have a bit of an antidote to what you just said there, this idea of being mutually exclusive. It, it, it feels like the world is is just polarizing almost as a hobby now. Like it's, you know, everyone is either one side or the other, call it, call it left, right, woke, conservative, you know, however you want to do it, that you can only ever be one or the other and you can't take a middle ground. And it, that's the spa- is that the space Joan's going to be occupying? Um, I would say, yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess not politically, not politically, <laughs> but the politics of it are, um, in the monster world, but yeah, I would say, um, she's definitely occupying a ground where, you know, one side of the family <laughs> preys on humans and the other side of the family is human. Um, and I guess is aligned with, um, monster slayers. Well, they, I guess they would be <laughs> just for survival. Um, so yeah, I find that. I just find that kind of an interesting space for a main character to exist in. Mm. Um, And maybe not one I often see. I don't know why. (laughs) So we really need to get a little bit more into who Joan is. And origin stories are so important. Um, Geek alert again here. I I just like to draw a parallel, say like with Spider-Man, his inception gives us his mantra of great power, bringing great responsibility. Now, Joan discovers she's a monster. She'd sort of always heard this name in her family, but she discovers she's a monster without warning. She gets thrown into monstrous deeds, this idea of them draining energy, without any choice. How do you see these actions shaping both who she was and who she is becoming? Yeah, I definitely wanted to start um, the book with with her being pretty naive um, to what her family does. So she doesn't know that they are monsters and she's kind of a bit of a goody two shoes. She, she doesn't think of herself, you know, as a bad person. Um, and, but she's, as you say, thrown by accident into this world. So she accidentally steals time initially and she finds herself jumping forward a few hours and doesn't know what happened. Um, and I like that when she first finds out, she's really horrified um, by this revelation. She doesn't want to be a monster. She doesn't want ha- to have anything to do with her monster family after this. Um, but then <laughs> she's um, the monsters, I guess, the monsters of the world are attacked by by a human and she has to pretty quickly make a choice. Um, and if she's going to save them, she has to make some even more difficult choices. And I find that really interesting when you start with a character who wouldn't naturally want to make particular actions, but then they kind of have to make some choices about whether they are going to take <laughs> these difficult actions, whether she is going to, you know, use her monster power to try to save her family somehow. Do you think, I mean, it, it, it's it's an absolutely brilliant kind of concept and to see it play out in Joan. And I wondered if that came from an idea that maybe we have a, a too simplistic view in our world that there is an absolute purity that we can ever attain. Like, I mean, it is great to have ideals, but is absolute purity achievable or do we sometimes right. all get our hands dirty? <laughs> right. And I mean, I, I do wonder like, what would I do 
you know, if I had the ability to go back in time, if my family had been, um, I guess if my family had been killed and I could go back in time to try to help them. But if the cost was like <laughs> having to steal life, I guess, um, I guess the narrative really invites you, the reader as well, to make, to kind of think about what would you do? Would you do this? Um, I know some people have said to me they would just time travel anyway because they like time traveling and they wouldn't need an excuse. <laughs> so we end up in the 90s, but before we get to the 90s, there are so many there are so many incredible things like happening in the same way that the monster world exists kind of parallel and beneath our own. There's so much happening underneath the narrative that I just need to kind of just kind of quick fire at you. Um, so like there's a, there's a brilliant training montage where Joan sort of has to learn on the fly that she, she can't take too much time from people. She has to take little bits of time from people. It has to be done in a specific way. Um, and that's just kind of fun on its own. I love the idea that, you know, like maybe, maybe we actually live in the world you describe and human life is meant to be actually hundreds of years and the only reason we have an average lifespan between kind of 80 90 years is because monsters steal a bunch of it from us what i love even more is the reason they have to go to crowded places and they can't take too much and they can't stay in one place is that people would notice and and just my favorite one of my favorite parts of the novels is the unspoken idea that there are a bunch of monster actuaries out there who are actually running the numbers across the time stream, making sure that monsters aren't focusing too much on one space. Like, had you even thought of monster actuaries? Have I just gone mad? No, I really love that. And I think that's probably true. I know there's there's definitely monster enforcers. So I'm sure that there's somebody telling them where to go. Um, The funny thing about the, so the way that you take time is you have to touch the back of a human's neck um, to steal time from them. But my friend... Um, my friend Kat and I, who I've, I've brainstormed with, was speculating on, is it possible? Can you touch someone's neck? And they wouldn't know about it. Um, so she actually went, this is before the pandemic, she actually went to the Changing of the Guards where I had that, that training montage scene and she actually did touch the back of someone's neck and she, she was like, she sent me this text saying, yes, you didn't notice, you can totally touch his neck. Um, a monster could definitely still touch um, but yeah, I also think that those crowd scenes here are a bit different in COVID. I don't think I think people are probably more wary of oh. other people post COVID. So many stuff like there is a whole there is a whole novel about how they have to get into COVID time and get out again, but because they can't touch anyone. <laughs> Maybe they just skip our time. I don't know. We, yeah, like okay. So hang on. Here's a really important thing because we are all so very familiar with time travel across various narratives. Um, and the one thing we all know about time travel is you need to know the rules. And there are so many rules. It's like vampires. Like there are so many different types of vampires. Were you worried about how you would establish consistent, airtight time travel rules? Um, I'm a bit of a time travel geek. So I absolutely love time travel stories. So um, when I when I was first thinking about it, I was like, what kind of model of time travel will it be? I knew it wouldn't be Groundhog Day like a, like a recurring loop. And I also knew it wouldn't be like one big loop where, you know, everything makes sense at the end because you did this little thing down here and then that caused this and that caused this. Um, instead, I went with, um, I guess they call it a self-repairing universe <laughs> um, time travel model where um, there's some kind of force, um, some kind of entity that really prevents you from making changes. So you might make a small change, you might, um, but then this force will, I guess, 
push back so that whatever event that you thought you were going to change, you weren't. You some coincidence will happen, and then that event will not change. So that, I guess that's the model I went with. Um, it's true that um, I wanted to make the rules really clear when I was writing it. Um, so I know that not everybody is an on travel geek. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I wasn't so worried about that. I was really more worried about what time travel would end up doing to my, I guess, tool bag as a writer. So, you know, you lose things like time jeopardy, which is, which is like when the characters have to do something within the next 30 minutes or some disaster will happen. Um, I feel like that is a really handy tool for a writer, but without that, you have to find different ways to create, you know, tension and stakes, different momentums um, or, put a little boundary sometimes around it so that um, I created something called a Maya, a place where you can't time travel. So yeah, I was more worried about my, my usual tools that I would use um, than I guess being able to explain the rules yeah. in the world. <laughs> Slight addendum, pause in conversation. So is a Maya like a, you know, in Doctor Who, like a fixed point that can't be sort of changed? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a place where, for whatever reason, you can't time travel from that yeah. place or into that place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's a little less like a fixed point in Doctor yeah, Who no, because so, yeah. the Maya does play a, a very important role, a sort of an extra, almost an extra dimensional role. Um, I also just kind of love like like multiverses are all the rage at the moment, and you both kind of avoid but also muck around with this idea of multiverses and i mean we're not going to say too much we're getting really into pivotal plot kind of spoiler territory um, but as we yes move- i do yes yes uh, yeah there's like a i guess there's a um there's an important early setting that also recurs later on at the end of the book um and i'd always wish that there would be some british reader who would be like that place is not like that. And then by the end of the book, they realise that, um, I guess, I can't spoil that. <laughs> I was thinking about what I can spoil. Anyway, it all becomes clear at the end, hopefully to a person who lives in that area and knows that area well. <laughs> mm. So wait, so you've, you've literally kind of dropped a little teaser in there for someone who knows the geography well enough. Yes. Yeah, so the, the early setting doesn't make much sense if you live around there, but hopefully by the end it does make sense. <laughs> Easter eggs. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Um, so this is where we, we've, we've met Joan. Um, she's, she's in the 90s. We haven't talked about how we get there, but we know there's a crisis. And because she's a monster, it's not really spoiling anything to infer that the hero is probably not a fan. Um, but there's also like... There's also this idea within the monster world. It consists of families. And the families play very much to ideas of factionalism. They they have alliances, but they're none too, you know, friendly otherwise. And also prejudice. They they play against, I guess, tropes about each other. Joan almost, like, kind of exists beyond these divisions because of her monster human heritage, because of um, her, her just diverse cultural heritage. I wondered if this was a specific look at exploring intersectionality through your portrayal of Joan. Um, I mean, yeah, I was definitely interested in, um, as I said, creating a character who can move among worlds. Um, I think she's a little bit detached from the monster world and its factions because she didn't grow up with them. So she, um, 
I feel like, it, you know, when whenever you hear about factions that um, are part of your own world, they, they can seem really obscure and confusing. And I think, I think she finds that um, she, unfortunately for her, I guess, enters the world um, by first meeting probably the most prejudiced family, which is the Olivers. Um, I don't actually think that um, most of the other monsters are particularly prejudiced. <laughs> Having said that, they do just blithely steal human life. <laughs> So I'm sure they have some attitude towards humans that's not that pleasant. It was just really interesting the way they, the, even even the fact that they could all sort of recognise each other on sight. And, I mean, within the Oliver family, that is their their power. But the, the, just the way, like, when you when you sort of code someone in a way that you can recognise them on sight, there's, there's some sort of underlying thing going on there. And it was really interesting the way, like, Joan... Joan exists throughout the narrative in a very nervous state. She's very unsure of herself and you're constantly throwing her off balance. Like I haven't even mentioned that this is relentless in its action. Like poor Joan, even when she gets like a two-day breather waiting for a specific event, she doesn't really get a two-day breather. Um, but yeah, yeah. As, as she moves around, she kind of is breaking down some of these, these barriers. She's bringing people together against these these factions which is yeah it it was really interesting watching it play out yeah i guess um i guess she's far back enough from the factions that she can say look we have a common enemy that we really have to fight and if we don't we're in big trouble so you know stop bickering (laughs) let's you know let's fight this common enemy um and i think they also had you know those the when she has is thrown together i guess with um some found family monsters um, and some actual family. Um, she, I think she, I think she is really motivated. Like I think she has a very one track mind that she wants to save her family. And um, in a way, she doesn't really have time <laughs> for these factional, these factional fights. Mm. I just, uh, I mean, the idea of family and the way you play with family. Oh, let's let's just quickly. You mentioned found family there. Um, what was important to you in portraying family and and sort of Joan's relationship to biological family, but then that idea of found family and the the people she she kind of gathers on the way? Um, yes, I definitely wanted to give her, I guess, kind of a happy childhood um, because I because the stakes are her family um, really on both sides. Because when she finds out that monsters prey on humans, that means that, you know, there's a lot of stakes on the, on the human side of the family. But then when she finds that there's like a monster slayer who's, who's killing monsters, there's a lot of stakes on that, on the monster side of the family as well. So I definitely wanted to give her um, a happy enough childhood that you, you can feel her love for both sides and um, you can feel the stakes, I guess, through Joan. Mm. So um, that was what I was thinking about when I was creating those, those families. Um, and I kind of also wanted to, I guess um, I'm really interested in the way that narratives can kind of confer and deny empathy on particular characters. Um, So I thought it would be when you see something through the protagonist's eyes and when they really love um, particular characters who aren't particularly that, you know, who aren't moral or aren't, you know, aren't good, the monster side of her family, um, I think it's interesting uh, that maybe the reader will start to empathise with that side of the family too, just through Joan's, I guess, biased biased eyes. So that I guess, yeah, those were my thoughts when I was creating her families. I really I, I like the, what you said there about the way narrative is able to confer empathy through perspective. 
And lots of fantasy explores these ideas of exclusion, these ideas of prejudice and the various empathy or the way we we actually push away against certain characters. It does it with varying results. I mean, we can come back to Buffy. Buffy did amazing jobs of of really upsetting what we might have thought of traditional um, empathy. Do you think this is a discussion that fantasy narratives are particularly suited to? Um, yeah, I suppose so. It's funny. I feel like I don't often enjoy um, like a, a fantasy xenophobia or a fantasy prejudice um, as the main story. Um, I feel like I've experienced it too much myself to like be able to enjoy being in that space, um, you know, in a fantasy. So um, I kind of like it. I kind of like it when it's a little bit more complicated than a straight metaphor, like a direct metaphor. Um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose, I, I mean, I do think it, I do think it is a good genre for exploring those issues. Um, but yeah, so I often don't, I often don't read those books. <laughs> now we've, I, I feel like we've gone as far as we can with the plot. We've, we know that Joan discovers her, her monstrous ability. We know that she's thrown back into the nineties. We know that there is a huge stake and readers need to kind of get out there and read only a monster to find out how this plays out. I'm gonna okay. If you are listening and you do not want any implied or inferred spoilers, mute right now. I need to ask though. Look, I couldn't help but catch on your web page that it's described as the monsters trilogy. And again, without asking you to reveal too much, but there are going to be some inferred implied spoilers here. I'm curious, was this first your original conception? And in entering kind of the YA, the young adult space with a high concept story like Only a Monster, does that kind of bring certain trilogy pressures? Like, is it kind of like, well, if you're going to create a whole world, you need a trilogy? (laughs) Interestingly, um, trilogies are really against trend at the moment. Um, Publishers preferring duologies. So um, I was really lucky um, to be able to, to write a trilogy um, but no, when I had conceptualized it, um, I had had, I had done all this development work and I had had what I had thought was a story a book's worth of story. But when I started writing that book, I realized I, you know, there was just way too much story for one book, way too much story for two books even. Um, and at that point I just really hoped you know, hoped I would maybe be able to sell a trilogy. Um, and I was really, really lucky that I was able to, um, because, you know, there's there's no guarantees you'll sell anything at all, but then, then it, you know, there's no guarantees you'll sell even two. And I um, there was, I just had so much more, so many more twists and turns that I had wanted to do. <laughs> so I was really, really, really happy um, to be able to, I guess, to get that opportunity. Well, fantastic. Now I need to kind of backpedal a little bit and ask, like, if, you, if this is conceived in such a, I guess, um, spanning epic way, is it then, does it become hard to know where to kind of put the dividers? No, no, sort of where one idea ends so that the next idea can step off it? Yeah, I guess I had like a, I don't know if it's boring, I had a kind of a dual structure where it's like the hero's journey structure, um, but I also did a, a structure of revelation. So there's like a, a series of things that you learn about the world during the course of the book. And I found that, you know, that was where um, I couldn't, cram everything that I wanted to reveal into one book. I had to continue that, I guess, into the the next part of the story. So there was definitely a lot of revelations, I suppose, still to come, if I think about it like that. 
in terms of that kind of structure. That is brilliant. I mean, that's what people want. Give the people what they want. More revelations, higher stakes, and and and, and probably a love triangle, which I mean perhaps. perhaps. You can say. Perhaps. Not me. Not me. Um I'm speaking with Vanessa Len. We are talking about only a monster. And Vanessa, like, this has been so much fun. Like almost almost unconscionably fun considering we we have to avoid a lot of plot line to kind of tease out these incredible characters and these thematic ideas that you have some truly original sort of um takes on thank you thank you um, um yeah it's yeah it's been absolutely terrific thank you that was kind of like a bit of a i tried to do a bit of a big sort of this can be the end of the interview but um thank you also like i i, I realized i was getting way off track there because you know, like there are so many things, and especially in the fantasy era. I hope I hope none of my questions kind of came off across. You know, not at all, not at all, <laughs> not I, at all. I always no, they were really great. I feel like they were they were all really from the book as well, which I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just when you kind of like. I mean, even when I say so, sort of, you know, like time travel is. We know it's. We we all know everything. Like fantasy has exploded since you know the eighties when. You know, you've got you've you've got kind of a lot of the the comic book forefathers creating narratives that are still being brought to the screen. Oh, true. I feel like oh my gosh, those comic book stories have been they're so rich, aren't they? You can get so much story out of them. It's incredible. Um, yeah, I, I it's I feel like it's actually a really exciting time in fantasy. It's um, I feel like you can almost do well. You can almost do anything. I know. I know science fiction is a little bit. We're not recording. <laughs> this is recording. Oh, just, this isn't part of the interview. No, no, no. I was going to say, I think, I think, unfortunately, science fiction is a bit off trend. Um, but I, which I'm really sad about because I, I really love science fiction. Well, the, I guess one of the difficulties is science. Fi- I mean, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Which um, it was, I, it was back when, back when I first started the show. I we didn't have as much focus, and now I'm very much. It's it's all Australian. It's all narrative. But this was a a Swedish. Um, kind of, uh, I think it was a Swedish, or it was a definitely Northern European author, and he had written a book about um, a virus, uh, a computer virus that kind of crosses the, the into humans. And cool. <laughs> what, but, but what had literally happened in the time that he had conceived and written and had been brought to publication was the technology basically existed. Like technology was butting up against a science oh. fiction narrative. And I, I think that's probably one of the problems is that. That's really, yeah, it's, everything's moving too quickly. That's yeah. really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Elon Musk um, or Jeff Bezos are going to absolutely they've already come up with your it. narrative. They probably, well, it's really true. It's the near future that's kind of disappeared, isn't it? This mm. kind of still space opera, but no, very, very interesting. <laughs> and then, but yeah, but then fantasy always has that ability to innovate, but also to parallel. Like, I mean, I, I deliberately, cause I didn't, I didn't want it to come across in a way where I couldn't sort of backtrack and explain myself, but I, I was about to call the, the monsters time vampires, but I thought that actually. I know. I feel like that's really accurate. But it could also. <laughs> Even the fit. way that they go for the neck, I feel like it's very vampiric. Mm, and it'll get, but it, I didn't want it to be a disrespectful kind of like a dismissive. Oh, they're just time vampires. No. <laughs> I would be fine with it. But the, um. Also, the interdependence. Like, I feel like you didn't bang us, bang it over the, uh, bang it over our heads. But um, we definitely see through Aaron um, that, t- like, time travel. They don't have to time travel. 
No, they but, don't have to time travel. They, 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 yeah, I feel like in a way, I'm really, I find, I, I'm really interested in what, what are they, why are they doing this? But I think they just like it. I think that's what, in a way, is the is the monstrous part of them. They don't care. They How just don't you, care. I mean, I was, I was about to put a, a spin on that. And before I put a spin on that, I want to ask about the consequences of me putting a spin on it. How ready are you for people who are going to interpret your work, who are going to have who are basically they're going to have headcanon and they're going to they're going to spin it in ways that you maybe haven't conceived. Um, I feel like because I'm a bit of a fan myself, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm here for it. They, they, can, they can have whatever headcanon they want. I feel like that would be quite fun. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I understand, you know, when, when you – um, when, when you have a lot of, you know, imaginative stories coming out of, of, of a particular fandom. Um, I, I don't know, I quite like it. I feel like that would be, that would be kind of the dream in a way, mm. <laughs> people to engage with it that much. Because as we were talking there, like rather than the allegory of kind of like, oh, sorry, the, the parallel of ta- time vampires, I mean, what is, what is very um, distinct with vampires is they, they have to do what they do to live, whereas your monsters don't have to. So there's there's a probably a much more accurate parallel of um, power, patriarchy, and and sexual assault, like where, yeah, probably, where yeah. something is yeah. being done for the sheer, you know, why They're not doing it. of it. Yeah, yeah, or I guess meat eating, I suppose. <laughs> I'm saying as a meat eater, it's like, you know, that this is causing pain to something, but you're mm. still doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, oh well, thank you for answering that question because I just I think for any creator it's there's a certain especially in the fantasy space there's a certain bravery in maybe not not, not putting it out there but just fronting up to a fandom that are going to do something with this. They're just like, you know what? I mean, I can only hope I feel like that that would mean at least there's enough readers <laughs> they're engaging with it oh, in that way. Yeah. For sure. We're coming back into festival season like, you know, where, where people can actually be face to face. I think people are really going to want to explore this because it's it's unique and I think the idea of a monster hero or a hero monster is is really going to resonate. Can only hope. Yeah, I haven't done any. Um, I haven't done any in-person events yet. So, is there anything coming um, up that we can we can drop um, into the? I've got um, I've got the Melbourne Writers Festival um, schools schools um, I guess part of it. So I'm doing that in September. Um, I think I I think I do have a couple of events coming up, but I don't know if they're actually going to happen or not. Yeah, 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 and sorry, you're you're in Melbourne, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. I was just suddenly realizing for a Sydney for a Sydney um, radio station. I mean, we we digital we broadcast sort of Australia wide, but pre- predominantly we're going to be listened on Sydney radio. Yeah, I don't have any Sydney events, sadly. Oh, <laughs> well, you we never know. Maybe, maybe soon. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time. This, you, this, was, a, this was super super fun. Um, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's really great. Like I um I think it's it's kind of a space where you've you've allowed me to indulge in things that I, I just also really like and as much fun as I it mean, is. I really appreciate it. I feel like um because you know, it's only just come out in Australia. Um I'm still at that stage where someone will say the name Joan, I'll be like, Do you know Joan? I know Joan <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just been in my head for most for all these years by myself. <laughs> <laughs> It's so yeah. It's, do you know what? Do you know what's really fun? I don't. I don't know if there are archetypal hero names or even villain names. But do you know what? They sh- in my head, there sure is not Joan and Aaron. Like, 
I really did. I did choose Joan because of um, all those like um, guy heroes that are called like Jack and John and James. I thought oh. I wanted like a really heroic sort of one syllable name. <laughs> right. Like what is it? What is the um the really like old sort of problematic, slightly problematic. Who's the Tarzan creator? Um, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Oh. Didn't he have, wasn't it a John Carey? And he was like the, 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 he was the man, man on Mars, kind of like the human. <laughs> I th- think he might've been a John. Yeah. But so interesting. And even, even Aaron, Aaron feels like a, an alternative musician or something. Or- I know. Well, I had, I had not read the Shadow Me series, but apparently there's an Aaron that's very similar and looks very similar. So a lot of people have been drawing comparisons with that Aaron. Um, but yeah, I hadn't actually read that one. So it wasn't on purpose. There you go. Like I just, I just feel like if you've got a strikingly handsome kind of blondie model looking child like you don't call him Aaron. Like Aaron he doesn't he doesn't need to stand out more by being at the, the front of every alphabetical list no yeah I wanted him to seem a little bit cowardly I guess at first as well <laughs> not, that, not that Aaron's a cowardly name I don't know why and even Nick, like Nick, Nick is such a casual name watch out yeah. Nick is hunting you I'm just like no he's not Nick's Nick's at the bar. It's Nick's really? round. Yeah, know, right? <laughs> Nick was late to work today. Yeah, <laughs> Does he have the ten dollars he owes me? <laughs> that's that's Nick. Um, this is this is terrific. That thank you so much. So is there is is this is this trilogy going to be like a, a like a yearly type of thing? Is this going to be? Um, yeah, it's supposed to be, but I know that a lot of people have been getting bumped because of COVID supply chain issues. So sometimes there's just not enough paper. I've been hearing, I've been seeing a lot of dates moving around, especially overseas, which is uh, I guess where my book is originating. It's originating in America, so. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if things get moved, but at the moment we're still on schedule, so I, I couldn't say for sure. That's cool, though. Yeah, no, I'm just I, – I, that was more of yeah. a personal <laughs> interest thing. That is, that is so interesting to – like, so it's, it's – when you say it's originating in America, it's, that's where it's come out and um, – I, I guess that's where it's getting edited. So mm-hmm. they edit it and then they send their version to the UK and to Australia – um, and then we, I guess, slightly re-edit it to, to change the spellings back. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. This is always something yeah. that I have in mm. my head where, like, I mean, I, I guess this is, in terms of, like, a critical response to a book, one thing that I'm always thinking is if I have a, if I have a, a book in front of me that has an Australian author but nothing particular about the book codes Australian, is it an Australian book? And I'm, I'm like... Yeah. In a way, I, it's interesting because, um, I mean, when I said it in London, um, I said it there mostly because it's a time travel book and it's such a documented city. It's just much easier to, to set a time travel book in a city that you can really research through time. Um, but I knew as I was writing it, it was a very Australian London, like the demographics. There's way too many Asian people in this book to be actually set in London. It felt much more Australian to me. Um, and even the weather, I had to do a, a London weather draft because I had just written it as though it was like the drought in Australia, just constantly hot and baking. Oh, my God. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, would thought it, I would have thought it would have been safe to have it raining on every page and someone will tell you. I had you. to add so much rain. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's interesting. I feel like I do think of it as an Australian book, even though I've said it in London. I guess I guess come out of me. So it was me. Mm. Yeah. Ah, so fascinating. So fascinating. <laughs> Thank you for letting me ask that question because that is 
what I, what, ask you. what I usually come what I usually come back to like first of all I have I have like a very extreme point of view which is well I mean from certain perspectives unless you are writing a narrative about indigenous perspectives from an indigenous author it's not an Australian book um, right and then you, yeah there's a, there's a whole lot of colonial baggage wrapped up in the idea of what codes Australian so right I think that's really true yeah. yeah I think it's broadly about kind of being open to the way individuals are going to interpret experience regardless of where the physical presence of the book is yeah mm. completely I mean you know I wish I could have said the book in Australia but I just didn't. I just didn't think that premise was going to work in Australia. Um, but it would be nice to be able to just go somewhere and search it instead of staring at Google Street View. <laughs> you could. I mean, like when this blows up and everyone's just like more, 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 more. You you write one of those slim little novellas, and it's just actually it's about a monster who somehow ends up in Sydney and all the problems of like time traveling when um, you know the, the physical infrastructure just doesn't exist. <laughs> can't go back too far yeah <laughs> um yeah i've it i feel like i feel like in a way um it, it gets really tricky I, that's also why i didn't want to set it in america it just gets i don't know they can our, our own histories get really unpleasant <laughs> and it's like you can't really romanticize them it's like you can in the, in at least in london <laughs> yeah Oh, you've even got me thinking, like, fr- from an evolutionary perspective, monsters can only really emerge in I hadn't thought about that too. Densely- yeah, they can't go back that far. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if you're in a in, not in a reasonably populated area, or, I mean, I guess the, there could have been monsters, but they might not have understood their travel abilities because they just couldn't steal that much time. I, did, I feel like there is probably I, – I know there's, like, I've got a line where, like, um, they say that if you meet yourself, you get thrown they, – they imagine you get thrown into the – to the far ends of, of the timeline. But I really do imagine some point in getting stranded, I don't know, before humans exist. <laughs> You're just stuck there. <laughs> I, I mean, like, Doctor Who's been to the end of time multiple times, so you're allowed to go once or twice. That's true. <laughs> I should let you go. I should let you go, though, Vanessa. You've been Thank so you. generous with your time. Thank you. You know, it was super fun. That was really, really fun. That's it for this great conversation with Vanessa Len. Vanessa's new book is Only a Monster. It's out now from Alan and Unwin. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You can find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Drop us the line. What are you reading? It is our 30th birthday this year in 2022. I would love to hear from you. Have you been listening for 30 years? Have you been listening for 30 minutes? It is so great to be part of this incredible book community, and I want to celebrate with all of you. So... Find us on the socials, subscribe in your podcast app. There are so many great conversations being popping up every week. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, always, please, happy reading. Bye for now.